0: If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, what's going on, whole family? How we doing? So good. Listen, so thankful to get a chance to spend some time together this week. We are, as you know, we're kicking off a brand new series that we are calling A King and a Kingdom. I could not be more confident that God wants to do something big in the life of our church. We're just going to jump right in. Every now and then in life, we come to a place where we have to make a decision. And I know you've been there, it's, sometimes it's small things. Most of the time, it seems like it's big things, but you just know that, that t- to not make a decision is really to still make a decision. Uh, I've heard someone say before that, that we don't always get to choose our battles, right? Sometimes the battle chooses us. And, and my hope and my prayer and really more importantly than that, what I believe God wants for us is for this series, A King and a Kingdom, to be one of those moments in the life of our church. Like we have to make a decision as a church, and this is a decision we have to make. What type of church are we going to be? And I say that because it would be so easy in today's world, especially at a church like Hope, uh, to show up on the weekend, to sing some great songs, uh, to hear a fantastic message, and then to go on about our week. And maybe if we hit that a couple times a month, then everything's okay. We could be that kind of church, and it's so acceptable. Or we can be a church that says, no, 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 we're going to be obedient to the call that God has placed on our life. We're going to be obedient to what it is His Word calls us into. But that takes a conscious decision. We got to make a call. And uh, one of my, my primary responsibilities here at Hope is to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can do to, to seek after God, ultimately to hear from Him, and to make sure that as a church we're growing in the areas that He would have us grow, and to make sure that we're chasing after the things that He has for us to chase after. I want you to know that for the last six to 12 months, God has just put this burden on my heart. And the burden, I don't even think it's it's just for us at Hope Community Church, I think it's actually for the big C church. And the, the picture that I have in my head is this picture of a church that's in the middle of a battlefield, but the church is asleep. It's like it has no idea what's going on around it, or at least it's acting like it doesn't. And the burden that I have is that God wants his church to wake up and to recognize that there's a war that's just raging all around it. And here's the bottom line. God wants us to take notice and he wants us to take a side. And I know you could hear that and you can think, okay, Jason, <laughs> great intro, great setup uh, to a series. Thank you. Uh, but, uh, but I know you're kind of like a football coach guy. I know you're a wrestling coach kind of guy. And so that seems like it might just be a little bit extreme. And if that's you, I just wanna ask you a question. Is it, I mean, is it all that extreme? I mean, you know what's going on in the world right now. Our kids are facing anxiety and depression and they're taking their own lives at a level higher than anything that we've seen in the course of human history. That's on us. Human trafficking, uh, that is the, the, the kidnapping of innocent children from their families and then forcing them to do things against their will, not the least of which are sexual in nature. It's the number one and fastest growing criminal enterprise on planet earth, $150 billion annually. 1.2 1.2 million children disappear every single year and end up in trafficking situations. And you could hear that and think, well, okay, Jason, I that's, that's, understand that, but that probably happens in other places. What are we really supposed to do about that? How about this? 109,000 children a year disappear from the U.S. 60% of those kids come from the foster care system. So we know where it's happening and we're not stopping it. And then on top of that, Somebody's paying for it. How about the secularization of our world? And I I don't wanna harp too much on this, but the reality is if if you don't think um, that our education system and that our media and that our government um, has momentum right now to to, to tear apart the identity that we have as image bearers of our God that created us, if you don't think that they have momentum to, to tear apart the values that God would have us live out as this church, I don't think you're paying attention. And that, that could seem like other stuff, right? That we don't have a whole lot of control over, but let's just make it personal. How are things going in your life? How's your family? How's your marriage? I mean, what if you just look in the mirror and you're honest with yourself and you ask yourself, how is my mental and emotional health? How's my psychological health? How's your physical health? Because I would argue that there actually is a war and we're going to come to this. I actually think there's a battle plan with your name on it. There's a war raging around us. And so now maybe, <laughs> maybe at least some of you are like, okay, there's a war. All right, I get it. There's a battle. But you said that we need to take a side. And taking a side, like that sounds... That sounds kind of intense because as a church, as Christians, aren't we just supposed to be nice to everyone? Aren't we supposed to love everyone? Aren't we supposed to be kind? And you gotta be careful because if you take a side, what if you take the wrong side, you get canceled. I wanna address that one first. (laughs) I just wanna get that right out of the way. Um, I'm convinced that probably at some point in the near future, our church or me specifically is going to be canceled for something that I say or that we say we believe about God's word, what we believe God's word says. So that's just gonna happen, all right? I hope it doesn't, but it might and if and when it does and so be it, it's not in my role to argue with what God's word says. So we'll just clear the air of that. As it relates to being kind and loving everyone, yes. Um, Every man and woman and student on planet earth was created in the image of God. And so therefore we love them. We wanna honor others above ourselves, always. We wanna be kind. But a staff member actually said something to me this week and he said, man, as a church, we have to be so careful not to mistake apathy for kindness. And I heard that and I thought, you know what? That's exactly right, we do that. We think, well, we're just being kind when really we're just like, ah, this is more comfortable. And I'll tell you this, I'll raise the stakes on that. One of the most unloving things that we can do is to stand by quietly when someone else's world is being torn apart. What kind of church are we gonna be? And so I just, I wanna pause there for a moment and I just wanna, I wanna say, listen, There is a war that is raging around us and we need to take notice and we need to take a side. So what are we gonna do? Uh, Last week, uh, if you were with us, Chase, he wrapped up a series that we had been in for a few weeks called Thriving in Babylon, which by the way, phenomenal series. Chase did an incredible job. If you could just uh, across all of our campuses, I don't know if he's there, probably not. Would you just let him know how much you appreciate him? Just a... A phenomenal series of recognizing there is a way to thrive in the midst of a difficult situation. But what he pointed out last week was uh, when you find yourself in your own proverbial Babylon, like in a circumstance or a situation where it's challenging to live out the values that God has for us, you got a few options. Isolation, retaliation, or transformation. Transformation. Isolation, I think that's, that's what most well-intentioned Christians do, all right? We say, hey, uh, everything's kind of crazy right here. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come over here with my family or maybe just my close friend group and I'm gonna get my job done and I'm gonna send my kids to school and we're not gonna rock the boat and we're just gonna live out the values that we have over here and we're just gonna be safe. And what other people do is fine. We're not contributing <laughs> to the sex trafficking industry. We're good. That's a safe play and it's better than some. The hard part is it's actually not what God's word calls us into. The second is retaliation, all right? This is when we say, all right, we're gonna take up arms. We're gonna go on the offensive. We're gonna be aggressive with other people. This is when we're gonna go on social media and pretend (laughs) like we're gonna win people to Jesus by the comments that we put uh, on social media. I gotta tell you, um, this retaliation This is an area that I actually believe myself and some in my family um, have a certain set of skills uh, that would allow us to thrive if we did end up in some Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome type of world. But again, it's not what God's word calls us into. And we have to make a decision. The third is transformation. And, and ultimately, that is what God's word calls us into. And Chase highlighted this last week. Uh, what, what God's word calls us to is to recognize that God has specifically placed us uh, where we live, learn, work, and play. And our role, our responsibility is to put down deep roots and to chase after the values that God has placed on us and to live those out intentionally around the world or, or for, for in front of a watching world. And it's through that, that we're actually gonna gain influence uh, in our lives. It's how the church is gonna gain influence. We're supposed to put down roots. The Bible says that we should seek the welfare of our cities because if it prospers, we too will prosper. We gotta seek transformation. This series, A King and a Kingdom, and listen to this. This series is all about how we as a church, as Hope Community Church are gonna put together a battle plan to live out this transformation in the midst of where God has placed us right now. And in fact, over the next five weeks, we're gonna be talking about five different areas that we're gonna be focusing on, that we focus on at Hope Community Church. It says, this is what it means for us to chase after Jesus as our King and to live out God's kingdom together. And so at the end of this five weeks, you're gonna have an opportunity to say, hey, if that's what it means to be a part of Hope Community Church, I'm in, sign me up as a member. I'm on board as a mission partner with Hope. And that's why it's so important for you to be here every single week for the next five weeks. So that at the end of this series, you'll know what it is that you're signing up for and saying that you're on board with. So I can't encourage you enough, make sure that you're at a physical campus every week. If you're traveling, please make sure you tune in on gethope.tv, tune in online. But we are gonna be doing some things at our physical campuses that might not translate as well. Uh, as if you were here. So do everything that you can do to be at a campus for the next five weeks. Family, there is a war that is raging around us. We gotta take notice and we gotta take a side. I hope you're gonna come with us. All right, as I've sat in this uh, for the last few weeks, Uh, and again, I mentioned that picture to you that there's this church that's asleep in the middle of a battlefield, and God wants us to wake up. And so what I want you to do is I just want to picture us waking up right now. And we're just recognizing all together there is a war that's raging around us. And there's a few things that we need to do. And the first thing that we got to do is we need to know who the enemy is. Because I'll tell you this, it's so easy in today's world to get turned on somebody else. We've got all these other influences telling us who we're supposed to be mad at. We actually live with a family that can kind of great on us sometimes because we're up under each other and they can become the enemy. We gotta know our enemy. Um, As as a football coach, I just know that if I can get my hands on some game film of the bad guys, which the bad guys are any team that my team is playing that week. (laughs) If I can get some film on them, I know I'm gonna get a leg up. Uh, Sun Tzu says in his book, uh, The Art of War, that if you know yourself and you know your enemy You need not fear defeat in thousands of battles. You got to know your enemy. So who's our enemy? Uh, The Apostle Paul, he addresses this so clearly in in a letter that he writes to some of his church family um, in a place called Ephesus. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, he says this uh, in verse 10, a final word. So this is kind of the end of the letter. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He starts out, be strong. He's saying there is a war, (laughs) there is a battle. You don't have to be strong if there's not some type of opposition. But he also knows it's gonna require something greater than ourselves. He says, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Verse 11, put on all of God's armor. Some translations say, put on the armor of God. Uh, We'll do a study on that one day as a church or you should do that yourself. But he says, put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. And I want to just pause here for a minute and, um, and highlight that word strategies because, first um, Peter five, eight, it says the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking to steal, to kill and destroy. But I want you to know there's more than that. It's not just like a miscellaneous whenever there's an opportunity, there's actually a strategic. What that means is there is an intentional plan to take you out, to come after your family, to come after Hope Community Church, to come after the church worldwide that would be willing to lift up the name of Jesus. And if you're tempted for any moment at all to think, okay, good, evil, get it, love the thought of Jesus, love singing songs, but the devil, I mean, come on, you're really telling me strategy against, against me personally. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it's coincidence that it, it seems like your marriage is constantly under attack? Is it just me? Do, do you think it's by chance that that one area that you happen to struggle with in your sin life that maybe no one else knows about, is the thing that you just happen to be tempted by over and over and over and over again? Do you you think that it's just by, by slim chance that it seems like every time you kinda get to take one step forward, you feel like you're getting knocked two steps back, like someone's trying to steal your hope? I'm telling you that there is an intentional plan. It's like, it's like our enemy has a file folder with your name on it and there is a game plan to take you out. It's, you need to think of this like, like somebody's gonna show up at your house, knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here to take out you and your family and I'm coming after your kids. And I hope and I pray that if that's you, that you at that moment, that you would not only wanna do something about it, but you would take it personal because there's a strategic attack against you, your family, and the church of Jesus. We gotta realize that. (laughs) Not only is there a strategy, but the last part of that verse wraps up, it says the strategies of whom? He doesn't say politicians. He doesn't say educators. He says the strategies of the devil. Family, we got we to gotta realize this and we got to own it because it is impossible for us to fight the right fight if we're not fighting the right enemy. And I'm telling you, the devil is so clever and he's got strategies and two of the biggest ones, some of his primary strategies are one, just letting people believe that he doesn't exist. The second strategy is turning humans on Humans. And so if we lose sight of our enemy, here's what happens. Families turn on families. Spouses turn on spouses. Churches turn on churches. I mean, this should sound familiar. This is what's going on around us. We have to know who our enemy is. He continues in verse 12. He says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I know it sounds a little weird. (laughs) But sometimes we skip over the weird spots in scripture. But what if those places in scripture that are a little bit weird actually have the potential to unlock the the most amount of clarity. They, they, They have the possibility of giving us the most amount of power to deal with what's going on. What he's saying is there are kingdoms and rulers and authorities that are at war all around us, but you can't see it. So he wants us to wake up and recognize what's going on. What Paul's saying is, if you're going to wake up, if you're going to take a side, you got to know your enemy. What else do we need to know? You can continue just in this passage of Ephesians, unpack the armor of God. Again, you should do that on your own at some point. I really do believe that for where we are as a church, we need to go to a different spot in scripture. I mentioned to you this burden that, that I believe God wants us to understand that, that, that we have these kingdoms that are at war all around us. But we need to understand that it's not just kingdoms that are at war, there's actually rulers and authority that are at war as well. And if we're gonna take a side, we've gotta choose a king. In Matthew chapter 16, you see one of Jesus' disciples at a moment where he actually has to make a decision. Who is your king? And so I want us to look at that together. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, Jesus is together with, with his disciples. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now, for Jesus, that would have been such an intentional question. And the disciples would have heard it in a way that's a bit different than what we just would naturally hear it. And so it's important to, to shed a little bit of light on that. So I wanna go to a passage of scripture in the Old Testament. Uh, and what we're gonna see is like this idea of kingdoms and this idea of a king is actually consistent all the way through the Old Testament. And it comes to life in a New Testament that's incredibly powerful. So I don't want us to miss it. I don't wanna miss the opportunity. So we're gonna go to Daniel chapter seven. Keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 16. I know we just finished up uh, a series in Daniel. We went uh, all the way up to chapter six. In chapter seven, I'm gonna give you the highlights just to kind of get us on the same page and then I'll pick up in verse seven. So Daniel chapter seven, Daniel is having a vision and in that vision, he sees a storm that's actually brewing out over the water. Anybody in here, any English majors, anybody pay attention in 12th grade English class? (laughs) Anybody know what a storm is representative of? Anybody? Yeah. Yeah. It's representative of a war. Um, one of my favorite scenes in a movie is at the end of Terminator when like one of the baddest humans that's ever created in a movie. Uh, Sarah Connor <laughs> is sitting in this Jeep and she's waiting, anticipating uh, a future war with the robots are going to rise up and try to overtake humanity, which If you're paying attention, by the way, with what's going on in AI or reading any articles on Reddit, you know that that could happen in anywhere from eight to nine days. (laughs) But in that moment, but she's talking about a storm that she can see off in the distance, but you just know it's symbolic uh, of this war that's coming. So so there's a war that's on his way and then he says this is where things get a little strange. He sees four beasts. Um, one of them is a, is a lion with eagle's wings. That's strange. He sees a second beast that looks, like looks like a bear and it has ribs in its mouth. And there's a voice that's saying to this beast, devour the flesh of many people. Doesn't sound pleasant. Then the third of these strange beasts, it looks like a, a leopard with bird wings on its back. And it says, that one has given much authority. And there's a, then there's a fourth beast. I want to pick up in verse seven. It says, then in my vision that night, I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled their remains beneath its feet. Uh, I don't want to pretend like I can understand like this whole vision, but it's very, very clear that he sees a war going on and he sees these beasts that are attacking and coming after humanity, all right? It sounds a lot like what Paul was saying we need to be careful of (laughs) and be aware of in Ephesians chapter six. It sounds a lot like a devil that's prowling around like a roaring lion, looking to steal, kill and destroy. But look at what happens in verse nine. He says, I watched his thrones were put in place and the ancient ones, some translations say the ancient of days, okay, that's, that's God. God shows up and he sat down to judge. Listen to this imagery. His clothing was as white as snow. His hair was like purest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels blazing, with blazing fire and a river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him. Many millions stood to attend him. Then the court began its session And the books were opened. You understand what's happening here? There's a war going on, there's beasts devouring humanity and then God shows up as judge. And he sits down and then court starts. Verse 11, I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed and its body was destroyed by fire. The other three beasts had their authority taken from them but they were allowed to live a little while longer. I went through all of that weirdness (laughs) to get to this right here. Remember our question, what's, what's Jesus really saying when he says, who do people say the son of man is? As my vision continued that night, I saw someone, here it is, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority and honor and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that every race and every nation and every language would, listen to this word, it's important, we're gonna come back to it, would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. So when Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They would have immediately thought, Jesus is asking, who do people out there say that guy is? Who do people say the one is that God one day or already has or something? Who do people say is the one that God is gonna give all sovereignty, all glory and honor that one day the whole world will obey and his kingdom will never end? Who do people say the son of man is? Big question. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Understand John the Baptist was alive during that time period. Some of these other folks were like Old Testament prophets. But then he asked him, he said, okay, well, if people out there say that those people are the son of man, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter said, I think you're him. I think you're the one, I think you're the king. And in that moment, Jesus replied. He said, you are blessed Simon, son of John because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this from any human being. And I want to say this to you right now, if you're like new to this whole church thing and like there's something inside of you that's like, maybe there's something to Jesus. Like, I don't really know what it is. I can't explain it. But I know that like when when someone's talking about Jesus and like something starts to come alive in me and maybe he is who he said he was. I want you to know that is because the spirit of God is revealing something to you. It's certainly not because of my cunning speech. I just want to make that clear right away. But if that's happening inside you, I want you to know it's been happening for thousands of years. And Jesus recognizing it in Peter's life. said in verse 18, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. This is a little confusing because a better translation for that would be like pebble. Like you are Peter, which means small pebble. And on this rock, that's a different word. It's more like foundation, like a bedrock on this rock. I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. The gates of hell, some translations say, I love this, will not stand against it. He's saying, Peter, you were right and on that truth, on that rock, on that foundation of me as king of the whole universe, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. These kingdoms that are at war, these kingdoms that are coming in and they feel like they're beating in our lives and the things that you thought of at the very beginning of our time together, when I said, how's your life? How's your mental and emotional health? How's your marriage? Those things, how's it going with you losing loved ones that you thought happened before it was time? In that moment, what? Jesus is saying is there will come a day (laughs) where every tear will be wiped away and everything that's been broken will be put back together again. And this kingdom that is at war against the kingdom that I'm establishing will not stand. And I say that because that should bring every single one of us a bit more hope in our lives. And I just wanna give you a moment Just to recognize that and to take that in, in the midst of, man, a war going on and us needing to take notice and take in a side, which we do, which is gonna require some things. I wanna remind you there's good news. Peter chose a king. I do need to share something with you that is um, not always um, incredibly popular to say. and it's something that Peter knew and it's something that you and I know as well. It's that when you choose a king, that king requires your obedience. It just does. You remember what he said back in Daniel? It says he was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. It's just a part of the deal. When you have a king, you obey. Uh, when, when you have a king, um, you move in the direction <laughs> that he calls you to move. And I'm gonna just ask you a question. Well, I said at the beginning that as a church, we need to make a decision. And this is a question, it's a hypothesis, but it's also rhetorical because I think I know the answer and I think you know the answer. But what if part of the reason that the church has lost its influence and what if part of the reason why it feels like the world is so crazy is because the church has not actually looked to Jesus as a king and said, I'm willing to give you my obedience. What if we've not said, we're gonna do whatever it takes to be obedient in today's world, regardless of what the cost is around us. And what if that's just a little bit of the reason or a lot of bit of the reason why we are where we are. And I think God wants us to wake up and realize we're in a war and we got to take notice and we're going to take a side. This is why we as a church, this is one of the five things that we're saying, hey, if you're a part of Hope Community Church, man, this is what we're moving after together. We say at Hope that we live obediently by knowing Jesus, his word, and remaining in him. You gotta know Jesus. You gotta have a relationship with Jesus. You gotta say, yes, Jesus, you are my king. His word, you gotta know his word. How can you live obediently? How can we make a difference? How can, we, um, how can we thrive in Babylon? How can we live out the values that God has for us if we don't know what his word says? We live obediently by knowing Jesus, his word. We gotta spend time in this. Look, I know there's been seasons as a church where we probably could have done a better job at equipping you with what his word says and how to live it out. We're working on it. I think we're moving in the right direction. But this is both the responsibility of us as your church and it's your responsibility as well to make sure that you are spending time in God's word and then remaining in him. It just means we walk with Jesus. We we have time in prayer reflecting on, okay, the things that that God's word says, am I actually living those things out in my life? Jesus, how, how would you like me to respond in obedience? We remain in a relationship with him. It's not just a decision, but we remain in him. We have to respond in obedience. We got to know our enemy. We have to choose a king, and we have to respond in obedience. Um, look, as we wrap this up, there's, um, there's one question that I think is I'm going to leave you with two at the end but the first is the primary. And this question, this is, um, if this is your first time in, in, in church in forever, maybe in the first time ever, or if you're on staff here at Hope, or, or if you're an elder at Hope Community Church, if you're a church leader from around the world and you're listening to this, I believe this is the question that God has for so many of us in his church right now and is this. Who's your king? Who's your king? I, for, for a lot of us, if we're not careful, it's ourselves. <laughs> But who's our king? And maybe a better question would be, who do you say Jesus is? That question some 2000 years ago was the most important question that Jesus' disciples could answer. It's the most important question that we can answer today in our own lives. And before you answer frivolously, I want want to pull back the curtain a little bit on why this series is so important. And it's because the church and today's world is so much more comfortable calling on Jesus and lifting up Jesus as savior as we are as king and um, if you think about this it kind of changes everything right I mean when you think of someone as your savior then, then that means that moment one thing is done and it's over right, the battle's over. And there is a battle against sin and death that is over, but there's also us still left in the midst of a war and there's more to it. But if someone is a king, that changes everything. If someone gave their life for me and saved my life, if someone saved my life, I would be grateful. I would even do things to honor them. I might even would like, I'd celebrate, I'd write letters, I'd tell other people about what happened. But when it wasn't convenient for me, when I had other things going on in my life, when there's other places I wanted to put my time and attention, I'd probably be okay. But when someone's your king in the midst of a battle, it's just different. We respond in obedience when someone is our king. And again, we gotta go back. We gotta make a decision. What type of church are we gonna be? And I know that there's... um, (laughs) <laughs> There's all kinds of reasons why, for us specifically in America, that that that, that daunting someone, lifting up someone as king, is a challenge to us. Okay, and just to just to kind of just bring it back down for a minute, kind of shrink the room, just by show of hands, is there anyone across all of our campuses, by show of hands, that just absolutely loves people telling us what to do? Anybody? Yeah, I think Thursday night we had one person in the room. <laughs> uh, I wanna let you know that's because there's no other king like Jesus. Jesus is not like the kings of the world that you know. He's not like any politician or leader that you see on social media. Jesus is not a king that wants to take life. He's a king that wants to give life. Jesus is not a king that wants to sit up on his throne and say, you go and do this. He's a king that gets off his throne and he says, I'm going to go before you. Follow me. Jesus isn't a king that leaves us in our brokenness and our mess. He comes down off his throne to walk alongside of us. He's not a king that wants to punish us and see to it that no matter what, we pay the penalty for the crimes that we've committed. He is a king that willingly came off his throne, walked alongside of us on earth and said, you know what? Instead of you paying the penalty for what you deserve for your sin, instead of paying that price, you know what? You stay here. I'm going to go do that for you. And he willingly went to a cross, had his nails, his hands nailed to a cross and willingly laid down his life for you and for me and paid the penalty that we deserved and he went down into a grave and he did that out of his goodness and his graciousness and his mercy but he didn't just stay there because of his strength and because of his power three days later he rose from the grave once and for all overcoming sin and death and the greatest rescue mission that any king has ever and ever will complete and he did it so that we could experience life in God's kingdom the way that we were created to live. But we've gotta respond in obedience to bring this to life for us and for the world around us. I told you there were two questions. Um, Over the next few weeks, you need to know that we're gonna be talking about each week, what it really means to be living obediently in today's world. I, I need you to be here, you need to be here. But my questions for you this week, who is your king? And where is he asking for your obedience? And before we even go down those other lists of things, I think most of us probably know what those areas are. The truth is most of us don't need more knowledge. We actually just need to act on what we already know. And so I just wanna encourage you this week as you're sitting around the house, as you're driving down the road with your family, as you guys are having dinner, if you're sitting with, some small, with your small group, if you're just out um, having dinner with some friends, Ask yourselves these questions. Who's your king? What are the areas in our life, in my life? I'd like to share with you the areas of my life where I feel like God is calling me to a place of obedience and have a conversation about it. See what God does. But man, we gotta make a decision. Um, as we close, um, the Bible says that we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And... Uh, so for all of us across all of our campuses, and if you're listening to this as a podcast, um, you'll hear this as well. Um, I'm gonna pray in a moment, but then afterwards the bands are gonna come out across all of our campuses and they're gonna sing a song over you and they're gonna have a spoken word over you. And, and this is, um, we're just going to elevate the truths of who our king is and what our king has done. And we're going to sit in that and we're going to be reminded of these truths so that we have that power, so that we're, we're transformed and can actually go out and live our lives as though we have a king and his name is Jesus. And we're going to follow after him in the way that he calls us. Would you bow your heads? Father, I thank you... Um, for the truths that um, you've um, been allowing me to wrestle with personally. I thank you for how I have been so convicted that I need to move uh, in areas of my life from just looking at Jesus as my savior and I need to view him as king. Father, I thank you for your word, how it helps us understand who our enemy really is. Would, would we leave um, our time together with, a, with an understanding, with a conviction of who our enemy is? Maybe the next time that we're in a disagreement or a fight, even with our spouse or with our family, we'd be able to have a moment where we just said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're not my enemy. I know we're disagreeing, but let's remember we're on the same side. Let's sit on the same side of the table and see the enemy for who he is. And let's work together to experience God's kingdom in this situation. Lord, would you help us to see as Peter did, Would your spirit be at work in my life and in everyone's life who can hear my voice right now as to who Jesus is? Would we choose daily, even minute by minute, to live as though Jesus is our king? And would we respond in obedience? Father, would you um, help us to imagine what a world would be if your church woke up We took notice of the war that was going on around us and we took aside what would happen in our lives, what would happen to those statistics and what we would see for your namesake and for your glory. And really ultimately for the ones that we love and live life with. Father, we love you. We pray that this would be true for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen.